Well, they're closing the doors, and that's for me, not for you, so that I can't get out. Glad to see you all here tonight, and I hope that uh, as we begin our study of the book of Psalms that you'll find it uh, refreshing, that you'll find it encouraging, because I'm going to approach it maybe from a different point of view than uh, some of you uh, who have studied it before may have heard. But you'll notice the little subtitle, Drawing Closer to Our Father in Heaven, and I think it's through these songs. It's through these prayers, it's through these benedictions and uh, other writings of men who stretch a great span of time uh, writing these psalms, praising God, uh, questioning God, praying to God, remembering God. And so we're going to get into that uh, just a little bit. Are there... People we need to remember in prayer, I've asked David, if you would, to lead us in prayer. Bruce, Dale's mother surgery is tomorrow. Yes. Dale Shackleford's surgery is uh, tomorrow. We need to continue to pray fervently for her and that family. Anything else? Yes, Derek? Uh, those of you who didn't hear Derek, uh, those of you who have been through breast cancer know that there is a procedure first where they insert a port, uh, and that is sometimes painful and uncomfortable, uh, and she's uh, had that done today, and she will be uh, looking uh, next at scheduling her chemotherapy, so continue to remember Derek and his family as well. Anything else? Let's bow. Our God, our Father in heaven, you are truly good to us in so many ways. We're thankful for that. Certainly we're thankful here in the middle of the week that we can all come together here in this place, that we might collectively study from your word to gain more knowledge of you and your character and your will for our lives. We're thankful for this study that we are embarking on this quarter on Wednesday nights in the Psalms. We pray that you would be with Bruce and all those that are teaching this hour. Bless them not only for their their willingness to teach, but their ability to do so. We pray, Lord, that much good will come from this study. We pray, Lord, for those that have been mentioned, for Dale Shackelford's mother, for Derek's mother, Brenda, for these procedures that they have, these surgeries. We pray that only good will come from those things. We have so many others, Lord, that are having challenges with their health, or that are shut in for various reasons. We pray your richest blessings on them. And forgive us of sin is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Before we begin, a housekeeping note. Jason has asked me to apologize to those of you who, when you found out who was teaching, volunteered to be assistant, assistant, assistant teachers. There turned out to be more volunteers than there were young people and children, so he had to refuse you. You got to sit here. Well, that didn't get a laugh. I was joking. I think we're going to have a good study. And as Carrie mentioned, this is a class. I don't like to teach silent students. I like active students, even students who correct me, and I may need that. But especially those who have prepared their hearts and uh, are willing to, even when there's something that we don't understand, you ask those things. And we are looking at the book of Psalms this quarter. We're not going to read every psalm there is. We couldn't possibly do that and have a class on it. The outline that you have, I gave you several references uh, in certain studies for you to read on your own. And uh, to come up with uh, some things to discuss during our class, you notice there are also questions. uh, Questions to get you to think. Our purpose here is to look at the psalm as a guide to our lives as Christians today. Some have called the book of Psalms, it's actually a book of four or five volumes of books, but some have called it the language of the kingdom. Have you ever heard of that? The language of the kingdom. What would you think someone would mean by saying the Psalms are the language of the New Testament kingdom. So we start already, huh? What do you think? How could it be the language of the kingdom? Do you see things in Psalms as you've read them already that could uh, maybe trigger thoughts of intimacy with God? Thoughts of being honest with God, things that would cause us to remember we are not separated from God. We have this close, intimate relationship that I'm afraid sometimes in prayer and in song, we don't really put our full faith, trust, hope in God as we should. We learn to pray And we learn to memorize, and we learn to use certain phrases. But sometimes, and and, and I'm not making a blanket accusation, but sometimes in our prayer we get into such uh, a stagnant mood that it becomes a series of learned phrases. It becomes a series of repetitious uh, language to God. How many have ever, and you don't have to raise your hand, how many have ever prayed while you were crying? How many of you, look at these beautiful days that we've enjoyed uh, this past week. Absolutely beautiful. Have you just stepped outside and praised God for the absolutely beautiful burning blue skies and all that surrounds us? That he gave us to enjoy. Do you ever do that? Do you ever just talk to God uh, and say, boy, 
This, we don't say boy, but you say, God, this is beautiful. And the heavens do declare your glory. And, and look at the animals. Look at the birds. Look at how we're fed and how we're blessed. Look at our bodies, what we've been through and what we're still here. Look at your love. And we see very intimate language here, uh, beseeching. Chapter 4 says, hear me, God. You ever ask God, hear me? In desperate times, please hear me. Don't pass me away. Don't pass me by, rather. The language in Psalms is a poetic language. It's Hebrew poetry. We're going to talk a little bit about that in our introduction. But it also demonstrates the heart of someone who is totally dependent, totally trusting, totally in friendship and fellowship with God. And we listen to some of the things that are given. There are physical challenges that the writers are having. There are challenges. uh, If you compare Psalm 43 and 46... In Psalm 43, there's oppression going on. Deceitful enemies. Do we have that today? Sure. In Psalm 46, there are natural disasters occurring. There are fires and storms, famines. All sorts of things happening in Psalm that people are asking God to help them with. And particularly in Psalms 46... There's political turmoil. Now, certainly we wouldn't have any of that today, would we? We look at the nation and the times before and the times before and going back to when the first psalm was collected and put in this book about 1400 B.C. until the last one, 400 B.C., And we see all of the things that have happened since. The world hasn't changed very much, has it? People have prayed for physical requests, both in Psalm 43 and 46 again. Deliverance from oppression. Continued protection from disasters. Deliverance from turmoil. Are we living in a nation of turmoil today? Do you ever pray in your prayers to please just give me some peace On this earth. Just give me some peace in my life. That I don't have to worry about wars. And rumors of wars. I don't have to worry about wearing a mask. Or not wearing a mask. They did. What about spiritual challenges? Sometimes the writers were discouraged. At God's judgment. Do we ever get discouraged. Because. God told us no, or it's not time yet. Do we ever thank him, on the other hand, for what he has done for us? Even the things that we didn't ask for. The psalmist did. How about spiritual requests? Vindication to prove him righteousness. Restoring the writer's fellowship with God. From sin? How are we affected by sin in our lives? 
Have we become so complacent with forgiveness, repentance, that we just do it and, well, I just failed again? Or do we fervently get on our knees and know that we've lost the proper relationship with God and beg Him and cry before Him in godly sorrow and ask for forgiveness? And when we pray for our enemies, do we ask that God be vindicated or that we be vindicated, that we get revenge? No, that's God's business. We're also going to see the basis of the psalmist's hope, and that is whom? God and his law. God and his word. His light, his truth, our relationship with him. And the psalmist continually reminds the reader of God's promise to Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Going back to remember who God is. I wrote my lesson today on the uh, website, my website, that in Psalms 139 we have the intimate picture of God. God who is omniscient. God who is omnipotent. God who is omnipresent. God who is always faithful. God who is always true and righteous and just. How about emotions? What emotions do you see in Psalm, the book of Psalms? Joy. Despair. Huh? Anger. Anger. Despair. Despair. What else? Any other emotions? Fear. Fear. Good. These are all emotions, and you may think of some more. Feeling of rejection, saddened, disappointed, depressed, all of those things. And there's also uh, talk of deliverance, national and personal deliverance and peace. God is with them. And so as we begin our uh, study, we wanted to touch on those things and understand that we're not going to be concerned uh, so much with uh, titles such as the five books of, of Psalms, are often called Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about drawing closer to God in every aspect of our lives by looking at how the psalmist did that. Are there any questions so far? Boy, I sound like I'm preaching. Did I scare everybody? I don't mean to. All right. Just a couple things before we get into our slides here. Uh, we have psalms of seeking God. When, when do we seek God? When, when do we say, I need God? When we're in trouble. When we're in trouble. That's right. I'm in trouble. I need God. Oh, there's a policeman behind me. Please get me out of this. Deeper problems than that, isn't there? What else? What else takes us to God? Someone else being sick? Is that what you said? Yes, 
Oh, time, yes, in times of sickness for ourselves and others, certainly. Life is unpredictable. Uh, we may be healthy today and sick tomorrow. There are others around us who need our prayers. I've prayed in the, in the elevator at the hospital when I go to rehab for people who are laying on gurneys going to surgery or going wherever. We pray for people in the privacy of our homes. We pray for people who say, would you pray for me? But we also need to take time to pray for us too, don't, don't we? God wants to hear from his children. Those of you who have children who've moved away, uh, you want to hear from your children. You don't want to hear this uh, months of silence go by. You want more than a phone call. You want a conversation. What else? When do we go to God? When do we seek Him? Seeking guidance. Seeking guidance. Boy, I need that a lot. And I probably worry God to death sometimes. Saying, I need, I need, I need, I need. But we ought to, because who's the giver of wisdom? God. Who's the giver of peace? God. Answer to all these is God. That's who we need in every aspect of our lives. And so these psalmists, they went to God when they were sad. We call these psalms uh, the psalms of lament. What about when bad circumstances happen to you? Somebody calls you on the phone and said there's something wrong with your bank account. I just need your numbers. What about when we have a decision to take a new job, move to a new town, children in a new school, all sorts of things? Do we ever seek God for that, for guidance? What about problems in understanding Scripture, problems in understanding God? Are there times that we don't understand God and how he works and why he does this and why he does that and why the evil people are doing so well and we're not doing so good. We need guidance and we need the guidance from above. How about the consequences of my sin? The things I've done, we've mentioned that, but we ought to go to God when we're in sin and we're going to read some of David and some other Writers who were uh, in sin. And what did David uh, describe his sin with Bathsheba? What did it feel like in his body? What about his bones? Rottenness in his bones. We should feel that bad. And some wrote because they felt God had abandoned them or hadn't kept his promises. How about when you're tempted? Do you ever pray when you're tempted? Or do you just struggle out on your own? How about I'm angry because somebody sinned against me. And I've got to figure out what I'm going to do about that thing. Whether I'm going to defriend them on Facebook. Kick them off Instagram. <laughs> Not going to speak to them anymore. 
The psalmist sought favor of God. And there are psalms we're going to read where they did find God. And that's important if you're seeking God. You want to find him, don't you? And so we're going to uh, look at some historical psalms and see where God has worked. And, and we're going to talk about the historical significance of psalms here in just a moment. But also we find psalms praising the glory of God's creation, the blessing of citizenship and fellowship with him, being able to worship him. We're going to see some promises of the coming Christ. Uh, we're going to see psalms of thanksgiving, faith building, knowing how I should act when I pray, knowing how I should act when I worship. And so these are important things. Why was the book of Psalms written? Well, it was written... Who, who wrote the first psalm, do you think? What does is, what is the word psalm mean? Originally, going back to the Hebrew, psalm, a psalm, a song. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing psalm. Sometimes they were accompanied by musical instruments. But what... God uh, wanted uh, and has always wanted is the heart. And these psalms uh, do reflect joy, sadness, anticipation, disappointment, depression, and they're all left for our learning. I could have skewed this class to the history of Israel because that's what these five books entail. You have five books, one, two, and three were written, David, and before captivity, and, and books four and five, and they'll be up on a slide, are written afterwards. Afterwards, Psalm 150 is one of the greatest psalms of praise ending the book. How does it start? Well, let's turn to Psalms 1. In Psalms 1... This is the focus of what these psalms are about. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so he sets out here in the very first psalm, bringing attention to whom? God and his law. God and his commandments. And he compares and contrasts the godly from the ungodly. What do we see about the godly? Anybody? They seek his way. They seek God's way. They seek God's way and as a result they... Flourish. They prosper. 
Maybe not the way we think of prosperity as worldly people. But they prosper in that which is to come. That in their life they have peace. They have trust. They have faith. They have hope. The ungodly are not so. And what does it say in verse 6 about the Lord? He knows. And that's one of the things we're going to see constantly uh, through our study. God knows. He's not a God who has set us here and gone away. God knows the way of the righteous. But he also knows the unrighteous. Any questions before we begin? Is that clock right? Okay. All righty. No questions. Why are we going to study the Psalms? Because it's us. These are things that whether we make them known to God or not, are things that we feel in these human bodies and minds. These are the things we deal with every day. We deal with suffering and doubts. Sometimes we struggle with our faith. Sometimes we struggle to rejoice. Well, people will think I'm crazy. Did you ever just burst out and say, Lord, I am so grateful to be able to teach this class. Lord, I am so great to be able to tell someone today, Jesus Christ is my only hope. And I have him. Wouldn't you like to have him too? We have so much to rejoice about. But we also, as human beings, go through sorrows, difficulties, temptation. And because the Psalms, when it comes to poetry, are probably the most accessible, when we look at how we should talk to God, Jesus gave us a model prayer, an outline of how we should pray. But God hears us when we pray as to the words that we use. Now, someone got mad, a brother got mad at me many years ago because I said we ought to rehearse. Sometimes we ought to rehearse our prayers before God. We ought to write down, what am I going to ask God for today? Why am I asking for this? Why? What am I going to tell God about my spiritual weakness? What am I going to thank God for? And he said, you mean that I can't sit down and talk to my God as I'm talking to you and I have to rehearse this thing? Well, sometimes I think you should. Because God is a God who does not like vain repetitions. God is a God who wants to know what you think, what you feel. And not how he can help you win the lottery, not how he can help you get a new car, but how you can become successful and prosperous as his servant. And we need to understand that. The Psalms will help us do it. We could go back to other things, uh, other beautiful passages 
that we could describe as psalms. How about the song of Moses? How about the prayer of Hannah? How about the song of Deborah? How about when we go over to Revelation and we read about the new song that we're going to sing one day for eternity? The Psalms will help us to get there, I think. As I said, it's a collection of writings from about 15, well, I said 1,400, but 50. I said around 14, so I'm good. So I'm, I'm within 100, right, Leland? About 1500 B.C. to about 400 B.C., which takes in the return of the remnant and rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. And so we have several authors. We have Moses. Who's, who's the most common when people say, who wrote Psalms? David. David wrote 73 of them, I believe. But Solomon also wrote some, Asaph, the sons of Korah. And there are others that are written that we just simply uh, have no idea who wrote those Psalms. But they have been included uh, because they speak things that the editors, so to speak, of these books wanted the children of Israel to know and to understand, led by the Holy Spirit. So we have a lot of people who could have uh, written some of those. But this is the division. Book 1 is 1 through 41. Primarily those are the writings of David. And then we have Psalms 42 uh, through 72, and you can read those as well. Those are the five books of Psalms. Again, the first three were written before captivity, the last two after captivity. And we'll note some things that are clear uh, to see about that in just a moment. They're the first collection uh, compiled before the Babylonian exile, and each book ends with a doxology. What's a doxology? Praise to God. Praise to God. Are they usually long? No. It's a note to praise God for what is written before and what he has given us to understand. And you can see why that is important. Uh, some scholars say this, these may have been added by the scholar. They may have been added by the writer uh, to ensure uh, that the book remained true to its purpose. And that was to teach the children of Israel, to teach them in captivity. And as they were suffering before captivity, during David's time, and then afterwards consoling them, and causing them, you'll see, to lament less and to praise more. The latest of these psalms were included in the Septuagint, 250 to 150 B.C., all in current order. Terms that we're going to see in the psalms like Selah and Maskil, which is a Hebrew term, a musical term, so we're not going to be concerned about all of those things. But the theme, books 1 through 3, emphasize the justice of God throughout the nations. When we remember the captivity and all the things that led up to the captivity, Babylonian captivity, what sorts of things were going on in the nation? What caused them to go into captivity? 
idolatry, rejection of God. What else? Anything? They had totally separated themselves from God. And we read about their kings. And we read about their priests and Levites not doing their job. Just allowing it to go on. Why is it important to remember the justice of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Forcing people to work without pay. Mistreating the widows, the orphans. Not leaving a remnant in the fields for the poor to eat. Other things. And then the last two books were collected after the exile. And it was to indicate a desire to keep God's law. What happened Uh, Can you name two people who were very concerned about God's law when they came out of captivity and began rebuilding? Who who read the law uh, to the people as they worked? Ezra. Nehemiah. The The priests had to be retrained, didn't they? We get over to the book of Malachi. Malachi is written in sort of a poetical type thing. It asks questions and then seeks an answer. They had profaned the altar of God. They had forsaken the people. They had lived for themselves and not brought it back. And it begins with many confessions of sins. What were some of the sins that they had done coming out of captivity, particularly in Malachi and others? They had taken... Foreign wives. And so there was confession of sins. There was confession of leaving God and rebelling against Him. Understanding the value of God's law. How important is God's law? How valuable is it to to us? Hmm? Crucial. It is mandatory. It is vital. All of those... I don't have my thesaurus with me tonight, but it is important. God's law is important. It keeps us prosperous. It keeps us healthy. It keeps us with that relationship with God that we need to have. Again, the relationship between God and his people, looking at it from our standpoint, isn't it, shouldn't it be the same relationship that we have with God as Christians, even more so? Now that the veil of the temple has been uh, taken away, now that we have this wonderful, wonderful communication with God in prayer at any time, God's never too busy to listen to us. There's nothing we've done that if we confess we need his help to make it right. He's going to help us. He's going to listen to us. It's important. Because if we don't keep his law, we can't possibly have a relationship, can we? And so book four has nine psalms of praise. Book five has 13. They were delivered from the promised land. Their praise for God, their psalms to God were increasing. Their laments were decreasing. And I show it on this this slide here. You can see from book one... 
How many laments were written? Nineteen. How many songs of praise? Four. What was going on in book one? What was going on during David's time and, and thereafter in the nation? We just had, we just studied. Civil war. Civil war. Rumors of wars. Violation of God's laws. Rejection of God. Then we come down to book four. It reverses. Now there are four, only four lamentations. And there are 13 psalms of praise. What does that tell you? They, had they learned their lesson? For the moment. But you see, they had rejected God. They had gone through His justice. And they had come out a remnant. But that remnant, when they finally became followers of God and His law, the praises increased. Any comments or questions on that slide? Right now, it's your turn. You had some questions. Uh oh. So I ask you to scan through the Psalms and find three examples of prayer. Psalms of prayer. Did you do that? Anybody have a favorite one that you like? Yes, sir. Uh, I really like Psalm 139, but there's some specific parts of 139 Mm -hmm. that really uh, stick out to me. And um, the last two verses, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is so wonderful. How many of us ask God in our prayers, search me for any uncleanliness and mean it? I'm just asking a question. What if we ask God during our prayers, after asking him to forgive us, Father, are there any secret sins that I have? Are there any unclean things that I have done that I'm not aware of? Have I hurt somebody today? Have I forgotten someone? What might the answer be? We're not as good as we thought we were. But the psalmists, as they write these wonderful psalms, beseech God, search me. Search me and correct me. Why? Because I want to be as good as it gets. I want to be your child. Anybody else have one? I was drawn to 139 today. Any others? No? Okay. What did you learn from that prayer, David? Besides your search. I know a lot of people go to... Uh, verse 14, and there are other passages there where David talks about God knowing, knowing him in the womb and uh, bringing him about. But what other things did you find uh, to help you in your prayer life, maybe? Talking about specific to that psalm? 
Yeah. Well, I know Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, tell us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And asks the question, who can know it? And then answers that, that question in the very next verse. God knows the heart. Sometimes we don't know ourselves like we should, but God can reveal that to us. That's true. Anybody ever surprised you by saying or not saying something? Maybe they had a look on their face and you say something wrong and they say, you really hurt me the other day. Anybody ever tell you that? You don't have to. Yes, Tyler. Psalms 51.10, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Absolutely. Thank you. We want the best heart that we can have, and we need to be willing to cleanse it and clean it. Not having a little hand over here in the world and then the rest of us wearing Christ. We can't do that. Doesn't work, does it? Yes, ma'am. I I was um, looking at Psalm 39. And it just seemed that David just poured it all out. I I don't think I had ever noticed it before so much. I I suppose he knew there's nothing you can hide from God, so I may as well bear my soul. And and he did that in in, in almost every psalm that I can think of. And I like that idea, don't you? Bear it all to God. He knows it already. He knows it. Just tell him. And tell him I need help with this. I can't do this by myself. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And every time I try to do it myself, what happens? Get egg on my face, we might say. I'm embarrassed. I can't do it. That's what I'm talking about, this intimacy of prayer that we need to learn and train ourselves to have is the intimacy to tell God even our secret thoughts. Even if we're saying, God, I'm having trouble trusting in you. I'm having trouble, Father, doing some of those things that you're telling me I need to do. You ever had a conversation with your father or your mother like that where you say, Dad, just don't get it. I just can't. I just can't understand. We call him Abba. Father, Father. That is not only a Middle Eastern, it is an Asian name for father that only a son or daughter can say. Abba. And in Korea, they call Father Abba Nim, respected father. Nim being the uh, formal. We ought to be like that with God. What do you call your father? Daddy? Dad? Pops? That ought to be the intimacy that we have with God. Let me see. One more. How would you define a song? A hymn? And a spiritual song. What's the difference? What is a psalm? 
It's a psalm, you dummy. Okay, it's a psalm. It's a song, isn't it? What kind of a song? Set to music. Psalm set to music. Sometimes. You know, some of these psalms where they say, in your Bibles where they say a psalm of David, that does not always mean David wrote that psalm. Did you know that? Sometimes it's written for David. Okay. What is a hymn? Opposite of a her. See, this is what I'm going to do. I've learned tonight, I'm going to start the class backwards. That way everybody's talking, see. And then I'll do my presentation, and then we'll begin, and it'll be, it'll be okay. What's a, what's a hymn? Battle Hymn of the Republic. Song of praise in the Greek form. All right. Praise to who? God. God. Who else? Christ? Holy Spirit? That's a trick question. All right. What's about spiritual songs? What are spiritual songs? Everything else. <laughs> Everything else. But what does a spiritual song have to, what does it require in order to be a spiritual song? It has to edify us, doesn't it? It has to teach us something. It has to cause us to think about God in his glory, in his justice, God in his providence, all the aspects of our lives that are touched by God, which is everything. All right, well... I'm not going to give you gold stars tonight. I'll just give you silver ones. Uh, but next week, uh, we'll continue on, and uh, I hope you'll uh, uh, study a little bit and open up a little bit more.